0: Well, we've been learning about um, something the Bible says is very important to us. We've really been in a study on spiritual warfare, and you know, when we hear the term spiritual warfare, sometimes we think about something that's you know, ooh, you know, like the Twilight Zone, and you know, you know, you don't, And I've been different trends in the body of Christ over the years. We've been saved for thirty-four years or so, and you've seen kind of all kinds of things in those times. There was a time when when spiritual warfare meant people literally come together in khakis and fatigues, army fatigues, and get up in airplanes and fly Say They did crazy things back in, in the 80s. And uh, I don't believe that's what it means at all. It's very practical. God's a very practical God. Uh, but spiritual warfare is very real. And the part we've been talking about is in, in, in Ephesians 6:10 down through 18, I think it is. But 17 talks about the helmet of salvation. And, and that involves learning how to think the way God thinks. And uh, Isaiah 55, God says about himself, he says, my thoughts aren't your thoughts, and my ways aren't your ways. And just in case we're not sure what the difference is, he says, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, and my ways are higher than your thoughts. And just in case we're not sure how much higher, he said, as high as the heavens are above the earth. But it doesn't say we can't learn to think the way he does. In fact, the Bible's here in one respect, so that we can learn to think the way God thinks. And, And the way you think, the way you are right now, What most of your experiences are in life, what you're feeling, a lot of the things you're going through are simply a result of how you thought because the way you think will determine how you act and how you speak and those things are very influential as to what happens in your life and they can affect what happens in your life spiritually just as much as they can what happens in your life uh, in the natural. Very few things just happen for no reason at all. Proverbs says that curse causeless does not come. There's reasons for things that happen in your life. There's no such thing as coincidence. Things don't happen for no reason at all. We may not always understand the reason. But we, there are things we can learn to do. So we've been looking at renewing the mind, and we saw back in... I'm not on. Can you hear me? <laughs> and she talks about me. <laughs> um, the, the, Romans 12... See, when you're saved, God's spirit comes inside of you. He says, I will take out your heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh. That's a new heart. And then I will take my spirit and put my spirit in you. So God gives us his spirit. That's how you're born again. That's your spirit, man. But you've got two other thirds of you. There's your soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions. And there's that thing you're sitting in right now, your earth suit called your body. Those God doesn't change. Our body, Romans 12:1 says, we're to make a living sacrifice to him. We're to turn it over to him. Recognize that when you've come to Christ, the Bible says you are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body belongs to God. It doesn't belong to you anymore. It's been loaned to you so you can get around down here. But it's there for his service. And I don't want to get off on this tonight, but that means we need to take care of it. For his sake. Because whether you finish well isn't just whether you have a nice long life. It affects what God wants to do through your life. So there's much at stake in how well you take care of yourself. But the other verse, verse 2 then says that, that we, are to, we, we are not to be conformed to this world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of the mind. And I've shared with you that word transformed literally means, if you study it out, to take what God put on the inside of you and work it to the outside so that it now shows up on the inside. All the things that God's brought into you, the kingdom of God is within you, the Bible says. The spirit of God is within you. The nature of God is within you. The wisdom of God, all those things are in you right now. It's just we're experiencing so little of it. Why? Because we've done such a terrible job of renewing our mind to think in line. See, if you don't think in line with what your nature is, you won't act according to your nature. And so that's what we've been studying, and we've been going through some principles, I've told you, some keys, and we're learning how to reprogram this computer. And I've shared with you, we've looked in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, that talks about three different aspects of this. It says that we have strongholds in our mind. Stronghold is something that's so well established in your mind that it, it affects you without even realizing it. It's kind of like the screensavers that we have on our televisions and computers and things like that. And the purpose of the screen savers isn't just to entertain you. It's because if you, don't have, if you leave that an image on there long enough, what happens it gets burned into that screen. And no matter what you do, whether you turn it off or not, you're still going to see that image in there. So the real practical purpose of a screensaver is it moves the image around so it never gets embedded in there. And I've told you that a, that, a, that a TV screen and a computer screen, by and large, I don't know about some of these newer ones. It's made up of a whole lines of little dots. And when, the, when, when a picture is to be shown on that screen, there's a ray, a, a ray, a, a, a beam of light that goes back and forth faster than you can catch with your eyes, and illuminates each of those dots in different colors and different intensities. And it's the pattern of those dots together that gives you the beautiful image or the image that you see on there. And, and so the Bible talks about strongholds. The next thing is images. An image is a picture in your mind. And just as with the TV screen and just as you're a, a, a picture on a newspaper, it's, they're made up of a series of dots. So the images in your mind are made up of a series of dots and those dots are thoughts. And the reason that's so important to understand is what we're going to learn to do is to Take down strongholds, and we've seen in First Corinthians ten. It says the purpose of these strongholds are to exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. So they've been built into your thinking, built into your patterns of your thinking in your mind over your whole life before you were Christian, and in some cases after we were Christian, because not everybody's minds renewed is is. thoughts came into your mind as a child and as you were growing up they formed images of yourself images of authority, images of God, images of the world around you, you weren't conscious of this and if you lived on those and acted on those enough long enough they become a stronghold and that's why you react to certain things the way you do and you may not understand why it may not be rational, you may not even want to do some of the things you do, you say I know it's wrong but I can't seem to stop it because there's a stronghold in your mind so what we're learning to do is how to tear those strongholds down what we discovered is you can't really tear the stronghold down what you've got to do is two things you stop feeding it if you turn the TV off guess what the image fades away now in the old days it used to take a few moments for it to fade away. Remember those TVs? It just, it stayed there for a while and finally it just kind of fades away. And, and um, so it take, but, but if you, if you turn it off, if you stop feeding it, eventually it begins to lose its influence. And the other thing, and this is more important, is to create a new image that counteracts that image that's based on what God said. So that's what we've been going through. I taught you last week. I've been teaching you about how to... So what we've got to do is deal with it at the thought level. And The thoughts are dots. And I've told you, every thought that comes into your mind has a purpose. It's intended to be part of some image. And so we have to learn to catch the thoughts when they come in. And we will talk more about that a little later tonight or maybe next week. You've got to learn to catch the thoughts when they come in. But it's beginning to... It's, repra, it's recognizing that every thought is significant because it's going to form some image in your mind. And so you've got to decide, is that an image I want to feed or is that an image I want to starve? So we were talking last week about how do I discern these images? And I use the example because we do not if we're not conscious of this process, what happens is those thoughts get in there, they start working, and the first, week, the only time we begin to know about it is when we react to the thought. And it's too late. It's already loose in our mind. Now you've got to try to catch it and bring it in. And I've told you it's it's kind of like when the doorbell rings and you go to your door and you open it up and there's a guy standing there in a brown uniform with a little symbol on his hat and he has a manila package in his hand and, and an electronic clipboard now. And he hands you this package and what do you do? We reach out and take the package, take it, sit it down in the house, and now he wants us to sign for it. And the moment you sign for that package, guess whose package it is? It's now yours. And we don't even know what's in the package. And yet we've taken ownership, brought into our house, and are prepared to release in our house something we don't know what it is or where it's come from or what its purpose is. And I told you the story of my brother who ordered some frogs. He thought he ordered one frog for an experiment and they shipped him five or six in a package large enough to hold one. And these were bullfrogs from Louisiana, where they grow them quite large. And, and it must have been a week or so while they were in there, because all we know is when he opened the package, they were determined to never get back in it. <laughs> and so we had four or five... I wasn't there, I'd already moved away to college, but we had four or five bullfrogs now loose in the house... And my brother's running around and my mother's screaming and yelling at him to try to catch these bullfrogs, get them back in control so that they're not loose in our house the way they were in Pharaoh's house thousands of years ago. Because <laughs> my mother did not want bullfrogs hiding under her bed at night. That's very much what happens to us when we take thoughts in without recognizing what they are or why they came and suddenly they manifest. They manifest. They get loose and they're hopping all over your mind and you're trying to run around, catch and get control of them. It's a lot easier to identify what they are before you accept ownership of the package. Because you see, before you sign for it, you have every right to send it back again. So what do you should do? How do I know what the thoughts, what the purpose of thought is? I look at the return address. I find out where the package came from because that tells me a whole lot about whether I want that package in my house or not. Now, packages that may come to your house could come from any number of places. But thoughts that come from your to your mind can really only come from about three places. They either come from God, they come from you, or they come from Satan. And yes, he's very real. So what you need to do is look at the return address to find out Where's this thought? You don't even have to understand the thought. In fact, you're better off because in order to understand it, you've got to play with it. You're better off just... The Bible says flee from evil. Resist the devil and he'll flee. It doesn't say bring him in or attain him, find out what his purpose is and then ask him to leave. It says flee from him. In some translations say in stark terror because you recognize what those thoughts can do. And so so I've told you the way, where we are going through some ways to recognize recognize the thoughts and I I said first of all one of the first ways to you know we can't well, unfortunately it's not a package we can look at uh, uh the return address but there are some things we can tell about it. First of all, compare it to the word of God. Compare it to the word of God. God will never give you God will never give you a thought that contradicts his word because that means he's contradicting himself so he's not going to tell you about that terrible person sitting next to you and what you need to do to get back at them when his word says to love them to pray for those that despitefully use you to bless those that persecute you he's not going to give you some strategy to get back at them now your flesh may want to believe he has because remember the devil's a deceiver He'll will fix it up in in Christmas packages with fancy bows. It'll 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 even it'll even have you know little doves on it, so it looks like it's come from the Holy Spirit. You know, it may have a picture of Mary holding Jesus. I mean, he'll dress it up so that it looks like it's come from God. But there's certain key things you can look for to find out. First of all it will never contradict God's word. So how do I know if it's going to contradict God's word? That means it's up to you to find out what this word says. There's nothing easy about this. If I could could give you a quick pill that you could take to renew your mind, I'd be the wealthiest man on the face of this earth, but it would be a lie. Second thing we looked at is you judge it by the fruit. You take a look at this word, this thought, and what is this likely to produce in me? And one of the great standards to measure it up by is John 10.10. 10. John 10.10, 10, Jesus said, The thief comes, that's Satan, only to steal, kill, or destroy. So you ask your question, does this thought look like it has the potential to steal from me? Well, say, what could it steal from me? It might steal your peace. It might steal your joy. Oh, you might get all riled up at somebody. And see, that feels good to the flesh, but it doesn't give you peace, peace in here. Does it bring peace to me? Is it stealing my peace? Is it stealing my joy? Is it stealing a relationship? Is it stealing my faith and confidence in God? But I have come, Jesus said, that you may have life and have it more abundantly. So it's His life. If it's going to produce His life, then it's come from God. Hebrews ten seventeen says, "Excuse me. Yeah, says faith comes by hear- Romans ten seventeen. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. When God speaks to you, it produces faith. When the enemy speaks to you, it produces fear. It produces anger. It produces envy. It produces any of the works." Any of the works that it talks about in James chapter 4 that calls them doctrines of demons. Jealousy, envy, strife. It's James calls them doctrines of demons. There's a clue. So if it produces envy, as much as it may seem like they got something they shouldn't have gotten, if it's envy, then I know immediately where that thought's come from. I know immediately what that thought's intended to do. But if it produces faith and confidence and before God, I shared with my wife this morning. The enemy will come at you to try to rob you of your confidence before God. Because if he can break down your confidence before God, you're fair game to him. Okay. Now, the next one. This is new. We haven't covered. Judge it by the voice. I'm becoming more conscious over the last few years of the significance of voices. Jesus says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. and You're my sheep. My sheep... My sheep hear my voice, and the voice of another they will not follow. They can discern my voice from the voice of the, of, the, of, the, of the false shepherd. How can they discern his voice? Well, one of the reasons is they've listened to it long enough. I know my wife's voice. I could recognize her voice in a crowd. A mother knows the voice of her crying baby. I remember years ago when we're first, we've had our first granddaughter, well, our first granddaughter, first granddaughter that was, was coming here. And, and I remember I was standing up teaching something or doing an announcement or something, and she was just going into the, into, the, um, into the nursery, and somebody opened the door, and I could hear her voice. And the moment I heard her voice, I wasn't a pastor, I was a grandpa. Because that vo- I could recognize that voice. And if a f- grandfather can recognize that voice, how much more does a mother But another reason we can recognize that voice is there are different qualities in his voice. In 1 Kings, I'm not going to take the time to turn there. In 1 Kings 19, verses 11 and 12, there's a story of Elijah after his great victory on the mountain, calling down fire, his great challenge of the prophets of Baal called fire down out of heaven, the great showdown, slain the prophets of Baal. And then the next, ver- next chapter, verse ni- chapter 19, uh, Jezebel issues a death warrant on him. And this man that just called down fire out of heaven runs from this woman, this, this, the queen, panicked for his life. And he goes and he, he goes and hides somewhere and he ends up hiding out in a mountain, in a cave in a mountain. And it says God appeared to him. And a terrible storm, a tornado comes by. There's mighty rushing winds. But it says God was not in the mighty rushing wind, the noise. Thunder and lightning came by, but God wasn't in the thunder and lightning came by. And then after all that had passed and all that thunder and all that noise came by, it said there was a still, small voice. And God spoke to him out of the still, small voice. There's a clue there. When God's speaking to us, except in rare occasions, He doesn't yell. I've had Him yell at me once and there was no doubt it was God. And I'm not going to go into why He yelled at me. <laughs> but it got my attention. Most of the time, it's just this inner, still small, it's, it's, a, it's a prompting that just keeps coming back at you and back at you and back at you. It just bubbles up in you but it's not yelling at you. He's, he's wooing you. He's drawing you into something. Satan's voice on the other and again, I showed you last lesson. You're most likely never going to hear his own voice because there's only one Satan. He can be only one place at one time. But we talk about him. We're talking about his minions, his demonic forces that may be assigned to you to harass you or something like that because the Bible does clearly talk about them. And, and, and it's him speaking through them to you and trying to influence you. And most of the time, it's annoying. Most of the time, it's pushing at you. It's, it's harassing you. It's condemning. It's, it's, uh, it, it's, it, it's, it's just the opposite. It's bombarding you. It's noisy. It's repetitious. It's condemning. God's promptings tend to lead to peace. That's why Colossians 1, 3.15 said, Let peace rule in your heart. The word rule there doesn't mean to reign. It means to serve as an umpire would, calling balls and strikes or fair and foul, deciding something. That's what that word umpire means or ruling means in that case. There's another way which kind of related to this. There's certain key words that I've learned that give me an insight or understanding. For instance, when when the enemy's trying to plant a thought in my mind, he'll use words like again. There you did it again. See, again, has a connotation with it, uh, beyond just the message. It's, you turkey, aren't you ever going to learn this? Now, I'm not saying God wouldn't say it to you, but usually there's... See, what what Satan's after is to undermine your character, to undermine your confidence. That's what he's after. I told you, he's a deceiver. He's like a pickpocket. What he's really after is your wallet when what he makes it look like he's after something else. So when you get a sense it's him, Grab your wallet. Learn to recognize what he's after. He's after your confidence before God. And so if it's designed to tear that down, most likely it's not God. Most likely it's the enemy. Another thought is if you can trace the thoughts back. See, God speaks to you by by inspiration and revelation. God doesn't speak to you by reasonings, generally. God just says, do this or don't do that. This is right or this is wrong. He very rarely explains things. He doesn't need to. He's God. And, and, and here's an example of not violating his word. Proverbs 3, 4, and 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. That doesn't mean we can't understand things. It means we're not to rely on our understanding. We're to rely on God, and He may give us the understanding, because the Bible says to seek understanding. But when God's directing you, very rarely He will say, do this, because if you don't do this, these three things are happen. He just says, like He told Adam and Eve, don't eat that tree. He didn't explain to them why. Satan's the one that wanted to get into why. Because when they got into why... They got into their head. God was expecting them to obey out of their heart. Satan's device was to get them to reason with their mind. Because their mind was not capable of handling him. And so when you just look at... My wife sometimes comes to me and says, Well, I'm not sure whether it was God or... you know, Let's see if we can trace your thoughts back. Did you come to that conclusion because you can go back and say, well, yeah, if we don't do this, this is going to happen. If we don't do this, this is going to happen. I said, that's your reasonings. God just says, don't do it. Or he says, do this. He'll lead you to do something or not. Now, there are exceptions. He may give you an explanation of something. But by and large, that's how he works. Okay. Now what I want to begin to now to get into, this is all been preparation for what we're going to get into now. We're going to begin to talk now about tools for renewing your mind. And one of the first things I've got to prepare you for is I'm not going to teach you something that you probably haven't already heard. I'm not going to tell you some magic pill that you can take or some magic mantra you can recite or some, you know, special drink you can buy and suddenly your mind's going to be renewed. These are things you've already heard before. Here's the difference. Most of the time you've heard these things before, you haven't had all this preparation that we've gone through. You haven't been given the understanding of how this process works so that you know how, why you're applying what you're applying. And there's some other principles that I want to teach you about it. So these are the weapons that are referred to back in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 when it says, the, in fact, turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll start in verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, that means we, literally, we live in a body, we do not war according to the flesh. Now we're talking about spiritual warfare. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, that means of the flesh, but they're mighty in God, some translations say through God, for pulling down strongholds, that's what we've been talking about, Casting down imaginations or arguments, the New King James says. We talked about that other thing. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We talked about that last night. Literally, it means you've got to learn to identify every thought, and then you bring it into captivity. We talked early on about controlling your mind, that you can control your mind. That's one of the foundational keys to understanding this process. You can't, because if you don't believe you can control your mind, you won't even try. You'll just say, well, and the beginning of that is to understand you're not your mind. Because if you think you're your mind, you won't won't be able to control it. But your mind is simply a part of you, given to serve you, and you can control your mind, because God says to bringing every thought into captivity. Oh, that looks overwhelming. It may look overwhelming, but as you begin to learn to do it, you can train yourself to do that. It's not as hard as you think it is. Okay. To obedience to Christ, that's like measuring it against the Word. And being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Okay. Now, what I want you to see here is in verse 4, it says, the weapons of our warfare, so we're going to use weapons, are mighty through God, or in God, for the pulling down of strongholds. We ended last time by telling you the good news that it may have taken you 35 years, 45 years, 55, 65 years to get where you are. It's not going to take another 35, 45, 55, or 65 years to unlearn what you've learned and then start out all over again. Because the weapons that God's given us are anointed by God to tear down strongholds. Cuz what we're going to learn to do is we're going to learn to take the word of God and apply those against the strongholds. And the word of God is anointed to tear down strongholds. So, it's not going to take all that long. Especially the, the the more committed you are to the process. Okay. So the first thing we need to see is these weapons are from God. They're from God and they're mighty in God's ability. So if it looks overwhelming to you, remember this whole study began by being strong in the Lord and the power of His might. And when we get into some of these, I'm going to share with you some things God's been working as as I've been using some of these things. How the power of God will come behind you and engage in this battle with you. But He He needs you to initiate it. He's there to help you, not do it for you. Most of our efforts, the reason it can sound overwhelming to you is most of us, I'm sure, if not every one of us, has tried to do this to some degree. We've all tried to change ourselves. It's called a New Year's resolution. You overeat through the holidays. You get up and it's New Year's. You finally, you know, you've eaten your way through New Year's. And you've now got all this guilt you're carrying around with, let alone the extra poundage, which just makes the guilt more obvious. And now you just resolve. You resolve, which is a polite lie to yourself. You resolve, I'm going to take this weight off. I'm never going to do that again. And when we really get upset, we make rash statements we know we don't intend. I'm never going to eat again. I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to touch another piece of pie when we don't intend that at all. But somehow we think the harder we get upset at it, the more we get upset at it, the more likely we are to do it. That's like taking a running jump to jump over Grand Canyon. It's the difference between standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon and try to jump over it like that, or getting a running start to jump over it. I don't care how much of a running start you do. You may get an extra two or three feet closer to the other side, but you're still a half a mile away. And the proof of it is, look back on some resolutions you may have made four or five years ago. How many of you still doing now? (laughs) They don't work. Why? Because you're trying to use your flesh to overcome your flesh. And when Jesus came back while he was praying in the garden, having asked his disciples to just pray for an hour with him, he came back and found them asleep. And he said, What, couldn't, couldn't you wait with me an hour? He said, The Spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. And I was meditating on that one day, it's kind of, I hadn't said it out loud, but kind of complaining to God, saying, You know, God, you gave us this flesh and it's weak. I mean, my goodness, that's what gets me in trouble. And all of a sudden, it dawned on me, it's good news your flesh is weak. That means it's easier to overcome. But see, it becomes a good excuse. Well, you're my. It's just, you're not, I'm just being human. Well, we're going to get into that. You're not just human. Your flesh is human, but the real you on the inside is not just human. That's why he says they're mighty through God, not mighty through your humanity. So your, your humanity doesn't, is no match for the power of God. Your flesh is no match for the power of God. So we've got to learn how to engage the power of God against our flesh. Okay. So most of our efforts have been based on the flesh. That means even when you succeed, you built your flesh up. Remember the old radios and cars that had push buttons in them? You know, you 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 know, she'd program the put. Now it's all electronic, but you know. So and, and they were always set so that so that if you if you push this station, the station you had pushed popped out again. So there's always one of them. That's what happens when you try with your flesh to overcome your flesh. You may get part of your flesh under control, but now the part you use to overcome it pops out. Called pride. Look what I did. See, the way God works That your flesh doesn't get any of the glory. He gets the glory. Alright. Because the flesh is weak, it can be trained. These weapons are easy for us to use. Every one of us can do it. The only hard part is the decision and the resolve to do it God's way. What I'm going to go through is not necessarily an exhaustive list, but it's the most important list. And the fir- again, none of these are going to be surprises to you. The first is called, in fact, turn with me to Joshua chapter one. And some many of you already know what I'm talking about. It's called meditation. The enemy's taken this process and is using it to control all kinds of people. Joshua one, we're going to start down in verse seven. Only be strong. Now Joshua had an overwhelming situation. He had a nation of about, but we know it was about five thousand men. That's six hundred thousand fighting men. So they considered maybe two to three million rebellious people on his hands. God has told him to take them from a place they want to go back to into a place they don't want to go to. And they're living in a land that has nothing in it except fiery serpents, boiling heat in the daytime and freezing cold at night. No food and no water. And that's where he finds himself. And the leader God has called to get them through this has just died. And he's inherited this mess. And so God starts to talk to him and says, As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Three times, actually four times I think in this chapter, three times from God, he says, only be strong and good courage. When God in only a few paragraphs has to tell you three times to be strong and a good courage, you better get your helmet out (laughs) because there's a reason why you have to be strong and a good courage. But the good news is if God says be strong and a good courage, you can be strong and a good courage and he's going to tell you how. Well, he does here. Verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all that is written, which my Moses servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. Now we all like the good success part. God's promised us good success. But between the good success and the promise, there's some other steps in there. And one of them is meditating the Word day and night. Why? So that you'll observe to do according to what's written in there. Notice you won't do what's according to written in there by reading it once a day. I was, uh, now if I step on your toes tonight, that's okay, they'll heal. We're here to help you. I was uh, sharing with a brother who's, who's been gone, gone, left a long time ago, gone somewhere else and, and going through a particular struggle in his life and, and was, was underst- couldn't understand why his faith wasn't working. I'd been a Christian for years. So I just kind of got in a conversation, well, you know, what, tell me what you read. Well, he says, I read one of the Proverbs every morning. I said, okay. And? I read one of the Proverbs every morning. I said, okay. And? Well, I read one of the Proverbs every morning. I said, well, That's nice. And I I didn't go off. It wasn't appropriate to go off. I'm saying that's not going to build your faith. That's fine with some practical wisdom. I, I read a proverb every morning too, but that's not all I read. And I read my Bible in the morning for devotional, but I also read my Bible to study. I do other things with scriptures. And so you'll find that the Word of God will work in you to the extent that you're putting it in you. So if you're putting in a verse of the day, that's what you're going to get. If you take one swallow of cereal in the morning and that's all you eat all day, that's what you'll get. But I venture to say most of us eat more than one cornflake. Because we have an appetite for it. And you know why you have an appetite for it? Because you've been eating it. You know how you change your appetite? You change what you eat. Because your appetite follows what you eat called a sweet tooth. I don't believe that it's physiologically true that you have a tooth that's sweet. Because <laughs> it's not your tooth that's getting in your trouble. It's that piece of flesh that's between your teeth that has taste buds on it that we serve. And the more you feed it sweets, the more it will want sweets. So you change what you want by changing what you eat. You change what you desire by changing what you read or what you sow. I'll talk a little bit more about that later on. So notice what what God is saying to Joshua here. The book of the mouth shall shall not depart from your mouth. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. You shall meditate in it day and night. So, uh, as long as it's either day or night, that's when you're supposed to meditate on it. Any other time, you don't have to. (laughs) But the reason you meditate is so that you may observe to do according to all that's written in it. So, you meditate on it so that you can do it. That's why James says if you're just a hearer of the word, that means you come to church Sunday morning and Wednesday night, and you just listen to the word and you leave saying, oh, that word was good and inspired me, and you don't do it, he says, you're self-deceived. Now, it's bad enough that the devil's out there trying to deceive us. It's when you do it to yourself, and you make his job easy. And so when we hear the word, in fact, the Greek word for hear is akouo, And what that word actually means is to hear with the full intention of doing. How many of you ladies or, or gentlemen, you've got some guests coming over and, and you, you're gonna, you, you've got a new dish you want to fix for them and somebody's given you this recipe? But you don't just sit down and read the recipe. Now, my wife will read recipes just to read recipes, okay? And that's one thing. But if she's baking something for guests, she doesn't just read it as though that was interesting. She reads it with the purpose of applying it. So she reads it differently. Do you ever notice how, how you can be in a message, and you may have heard the same message six months ago, And suddenly it just exploded. Wow, that was great. And I may have said the same thing last week. And you just sat there going. Did the word change? I mean, I could have changed, but the word didn't change. But often, I mean, I've experienced that. Often the difference is me. Either there's a situation in my life, or I've awakened to something, and now that word is speaking to something that's an issue in my life, or something I need to grow on. And now I'm all ears. Why? I know that I need to hear it. Now, I needed to hear it last week. I just didn't know I needed to hear it last week. So, he says, meditating on it is more than reading. We'll see that in a minute. Meditating on it is more than reading it. And the reason you're meditating on it is so you'll learn to do what it says. And it's when you do what it says that you make your way prosperous. And when you make your way prosperous, you have good success. So success follows a prosperous way. A prosperous way follows obeying the Word. Obeying the Word follows meditating in it, day and night. And we'll see that and apply that to some things. So now I want to talk to you, because a lot of times you're like, well, you're to meditate, we need to meditate. But what does it mean to meditate? What does it mean to meditate? Well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean to read. That's part of it, cause you can't, cause you need the, you need to have read the verse, cause obviously we're talking about the Word of God. So what we're gonna tell us taking the Word of God and using the Word of God. See, that's, I missed that step. What we're gonna do is we're gonna build new strongholds, and the way you build a new stronghold is you form new imaginations, and the way you form new imaginations is you collect new dots that, that make up a new imagination. And the place we're gonna to go to get the dots is from the Word of God. From God, they're God's thoughts. So we're going to take God's thoughts about you, God's thoughts about Him, God's thoughts about the circumstances in your life, and we're going to plant those thoughts in our conscious mind. And when you plant those thoughts in His conscious mind, your mind's going to, after a while, begin to do the dot-to-dot thing and connect them together. And as we keep putting them in, it's going to create a brand new image. At first, it will be very faint. And you'll see it at times. And it will kind of fade away. And you'll say, oh, I couldn't hold on to that. But you keep putting the dots in. You keep putting the thoughts in. You keep putting the thoughts in. And that will begin to come back into view again. And it will stay a little longer. And that may fade away a little longer. Just keep at it. You keep at it. And eventually, it will stay there longer, and longer until there... It's there most of the time and then as it gets there longer and longer it begins to get embedded in the screen of your mind and now begins to form a stronghold. So the dots we're going to put in, the thoughts we're going to be put in is to take God's word. That's why it's anointed because they're anointed thoughts. The other reason they're powerful is these thoughts are the truth. These thoughts are the truth. Many of the thoughts that have been put in your mind and you put in your mind are not the truth. But these thoughts are the truth. And the truth is powerful. Okay. So, what we're going to do is learn to take those thoughts in. But that's why reading's not enough, listening's not enough. I shared with you last week. I've been in hospital rooms with people that that that, that you know are facing a serious situation, or, or in their in their house where they got the earphones on and they're playing healing scriptures over and over, and that's wonderful, but that's not meditating. That's listening to healing scriptures, and I'll share some things about that. Why well, I don't do it that way anymore. I used to. There's a much better way to do it. There's a much more powerful way to do it that works. Okay, now, so what what meditation means is to mull something around in your mind. Roll it around in your mind to dwell on it. Let your mind think about it over and over and over and over and over and over and over, and over again. And while you're doing that, when you, you know you're doing it when you get lost in the thoughts. Have you ever daydreamed? Some of you may be doing it right now. Your mind just kind of wanders and, you know, you just... You may do it when you're trying to read scriptures. Your mind's rolling over something. The difference is you're not doing it purposefully. It's just running around like my dog used to outside. It's just wandering all over the place. And and so... so uh, Mulling it over is when you, you take the, the, the tremendous power of your mind and you begin to work it for what your purpose is and your intention is. It's when you really get lost in it. It begins to create a new image. Now, some of you may hear this and say, I don't know if I can do this. But I suggest to you that many of you are already re- well trained in this. Many of you are experts in this. Another word for it is worry. Have you ever worried about something? Then you know how to meditate. Because worry's meditating. The difference is you're, wor- you're meditating on the devil's lie. So what we're going to do is how to learn, learn to take the things you already know how to do and just substitute God's truth for the things you've been meditating about. Now, here's where it takes some work because you're trained in that. And we live in a world that's trained in it and wants to further train you in it. So if you just all you do is watch the news, it's full of worry. As you've heard me say, they very rarely just report the facts. They'll give you the facts and then they'll interpret it to you, basically telling you you need to be afraid. And if you're not getting it from the guy or the girl on the screen, they're running another set of worries on the bottom. And then they're flashing others at you. So you're getting three or two or three messages bombarding, And we wonder while we go around, Oh my goodness! I don't know if we're going to make it! Because that's the underlying message of all of that. That's why this is called the good news. It forms good images. Jeremiah 29. Not in my notes. But this is an example of what I'm talking about. So you 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 see CNN or Fox News or MSNBC or one of the rest and you get oh my goshness everything's falling apart. Learn this scripture, verse eleven. This is God talking, Jeremiah twenty nine. For I know this is God talking about Himself now. God's talking about His thoughts. I know the thoughts that I have towards you, says the Lord, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. God says, I know my, I know the thoughts I have towards you. I know the thoughts I have towards you. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So we've got to learn to think these thoughts. Because they're God's thoughts towards us. Of peace. Not bombs going off and there's a story woman. I heard of a woman. I, I, don't, you know, I didn't hear the woman say this story, so I'm telling you this is a story I heard about a woman during the, the, the Battle of Britain when they were, the Germans were bombing uh, London in, in the beginning of World War II. And, of course, and they, they had uh, bomb shelters that they would go down into. When I was growing up in the 60s, that was a popular thing to have bomb shelters. I don't know what they thought they were going to come back out to after the bomb. You know, everything's radiated and destroyed. What, you know, what are you going to come back out of? Anyway, I don't want to go there. But that was a big thing in vogue. People made a lot of money with bomb shelters. Anyway. Um, there are Christians that are hoarding up food and water because we don't know what's going to happen. If it's based on fear, imagine the image you're forming inside yourself. I don't find it in the Word of God to hoard up. Just, just, just read Psalm 23 and Psalm 91. And do what they say. And start just... I challenge you to, to recite Psalm 91 when you get up in the morning and when you go to bed at night. Just see what it does. If you can't do that, just do the 23rd Psalm. Do it three times a day. I mean, you'll take vitamins, won't you? You'll take... you'll take if you know, The doctor prescribes to you an antibiotic. He says, to take this three times a day. I don't care if you start feeling better tomorrow. You take it until the prescription runs out. How many of you ever heard a doctor tell you that? Right? And so you do that, right? We trust what the doctor says... Try taking Psalm 23 three times a day. That's my prescription. And come back next week and tell me how you feel. All right. Now, I know the thoughts I have towards you, says the Lord, of peace and not of evil. So I don't care what the devil's thoughts are. I don't care what my neighbor's thoughts are. I don't care what Larry King's thoughts are. I don't care what whoever's thoughts are. I don't care what the president's thoughts are. I don't care what the Shah of Iran's thoughts I don't care what Benajab or whatever. I don't care what their thoughts are because I know what God's thoughts are. And my God's higher than them. Yes. It's His thoughts that matter. And His thoughts towards me are of peace and not of evil. To give me a future and a hope. Okay. Well, that was a little sidetracked there. All right. So it's the same as worry, except we're going to worry on God's Word. So if you can worry, you already know how to meditate. Here's the difference. Again, the world system, which exalts itself against the knowledge of God, worries about, about what's going to happen to it. And they want you to worry with them. Because it's no fun to be around people that's not worrying if you're worrying. It's like being invited to a pity party and you don't pity. You're not popular at a pity party if you're, not, if you're rejoicing. Everybody's singing, around, oh, it's terrible. Oh, yes, it's terrible. I don't know why they did to you. And they did the same thing to me in worse things. <gasps> they said that to you. Oh, well, they said something worse than me. <gasps> oh, that's terrible. <laughs> and you're walking around and says, my God meets all my needs according to his race. You're not popular at a pity party. Just like Jesus wasn't popular at some parties and popular at others. Funny, he wasn't popular with the religious folks. Okay. So, because the world system... So you've got to work to apply these things you know how to do with the Word of God. Because it's going to seem foreign to you at first. But if you keep at it, it's guaranteed to work because God's guaranteed it. Money back guarantee. Alright. The other thing is all the years of experience you have worrying, you don't have to throw out. You can just begin to use it now for meditating on God's Word. So the next thing is, but here's what it does. Here's the key. It takes a conscious decision and a conscious effort. It takes effort, concerted effort. But then again, if you don't fight the thoughts, the enemy's going to get a stronger and stronger hold on your mind. And the more he has a hold on your mind, the more he's going to have a hold on your life. And we want God to have a hold on our life. Now, I tell you what it's not. Meditating is not reading the same scripture over and over again. There's a term for that. It's called reading the same scripture over and over again. <laughs> it's not listening to scriptures. That's called listening to scriptures. I say that and I'm making joke of it because that's what a lot of people do thinking they're meditating and and it doesn't seem to work. Now, listening to scriptures and listening to teachings is wonderful because it will inspire you, it will encourage you, it may give you some insight and understanding, but it's not the way God's ordained to do it. Because when you listen to someone else's testimony, you're living... All, that's, like, that's like enjoying sports because you're watching what they do on Sunday afternoon on a football field or what they're doing on a baseball. You're living vicariously off of what they're going through. So I don't have to put the work into it. I don't have to put the commitment into it. I'm enjoying a side... but I don't get the pay they get either. And I don't get the rings that they get. And I don't get the thrill of accomplishment... I just get, we get so many people, I don't want to get on this hobby horse, we get so many people that are living vicariously off of other people's lives. Whether they're rock stars or, or Christian rock stars, because we have our own performers that are stars in our eyes. And, or or whether, they're, whether they're, you know, whether they're movie stars or, or whoever we look up to, we're living vicariously off of their life. And while we're doing that, we're not having one of our own. And so, that's really what we're doing. And I'm saying, we need to listen to tapes and CDs. We should do that. But understand that that's not enough. That's what I'm saying. Because you're learning what somebody else learned because they did what they needed to do. If you then don't turn and do what they did, it won't work for you. So, just listening. So, well, I've been listening to tapes. That's good. Are you doing what they did? That's what produces the results. Okay. Okay. So, it's not just saying the same verse over and over again. It's something that you have to purpose to do. And there are definite aspects of meditation in Scripture. And I'm going to take you through next week some s- practical steps that you can go through a checklist. And what a checklist is, is a checklist is not a, it's not a formula. This is not a formula. It's a checklist that if you go down and you can check off, I'm doing this and I'm doing... It's, it's, well, I don't know what to do to meditate. Pull out this list I'm going to give you. And when you're doing this list, you'll find out that you're meditating. You want to know what it is? Yeah. You've got to come back next week. <laughs> Praise God. I don't want to have the time to get into it and start this. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, we just thank you tonight for your goodness in our lives and your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, that you have an answer. You do not want to leave us where we are. But you have a way to deliver us, to set us free. And it's not just by having someone pray for us, although that will help from time to time. But there's a time we just have to do what your word says to do. Father, we just come to you tonight and confess that in many ways we we are where we are in our lives. Because we've never really controlled how we think have our thinking line up with your word and what you the way you think but we thank you that you're giving us understanding now we're beginning to see we are where we are and beginning to gain understanding and we thank you for that father lord in the days in the week ahead make us more aware of our thoughts make us more conscious of where those thoughts are coming from and help us by the holy spirit who's in us to identify the way our mind is working the patterns of our thought. So that as we continue to grow in knowledge of our wor- of the word and of our mind, Lord, we'll be in a better shape, better condition, better place to apply these principles in our mind and come out victorious. And Lord, as we do that, we will be able to observe to do all that you've said in your word to do. And then we will we will we will make our way prosperous. And as you promised in our word, as we make our way prosperous we shall have good success. We praise you and thank you, Father, for the roadmap you've laid before us. We can do it in Jesus' name. Amen.